Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Putting It Together. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Come on in, sit yourself down, relax, enjoy. I hope you're well. Put your feet up. Um, my name is Brian O'Sullivan, and welcome to the Creative Conversations podcast. It's called Putting It Together, and you're very welcome to it. Perhaps you've just joined. Perhaps you've never listened to an episode before, and if so, welcome. And uh, maybe you're an old hand at this, and the same thing goes to you. I hope you're okay. Welcome along. Thanks for coming back. Um, if you've not listened before, then let me tell you there are, I think, 135 episodes in the archive now, something like that. They're all free, they're all available for you to listen to in any order you like, whenever you want, wherever you get your podcasts. So um, if you didn't know about the show before today, well, why don't you tell some people about it? You can do that by the social media channels. Follow us on Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Look us up at Putting It Together on Facebook and uh, let your pals know you're listening. I didn't intend to go into that plug right away, but hey, why not? Thanks very much for listening to the show. Um, And I also want to say a big thanks to the donors who are now patrons of the show, people who have given small or large amounts of money through the PayPal. Now, if you have a wee bit of spare cash, if your income has been protected, um, if you've not suffered a terrible hit from the recent crisis, then please consider donating to the show if you think it's worthwhile. It's really easy to do and it doesn't have to cost you much. You go to puttingittogethercast.com and you look for the yellow donate button, which you'll find right on the front screen. It's a donate button that you'll recognise it. It's from PayPal. You click the button and it's very simple. You follow the prompts. Some people give a few pounds a month. Some people give occasional larger donations. It's up to you, but it's really appreciated and it helps me make some income from the show, which I've been working on for two and a half years. And the show is completely free otherwise. So um, I hope that you can have a wee think about that if it's something that you can afford to do. Now, today's episode, I'm bringing you an interview with the wonderful Ruben Joseph, who has recently brought out a new EP. Um, That's not initially why I'm talking to him. Um, It's not that kind of show where you plug your your recent thing, but um, it was a bit of nice timing. Um, The EP is called Things They Know. It's available on all the usual music streaming services, wherever you get your music. I've been having a wee listen to it. Beautifully done. Um, He's got a stunning voice and obviously... Not obviously, but also he's produced the whole thing himself and done a really nice job with it. So it's definitely worth a listen. Things They Know by Ruben Joseph. And he tells us in the interview a wee bit about that, about um, the writing process, about doing it through lockdown, some of the material he's had kind of in the bag for a while, some of it's brand new. How he goes through that whole process is fascinating. Um, And he's had a a whirlwind of a, a couple of years. I mean, having graduated in 2018, uh, since then he's done some really high profile work and uh, was starting working on, on telly just before lockdown and hopefully we'll go back to it. So more power to him. It was great to chat to him. We've never actually met in real life so that's another interesting one like that. I'm getting more and more of those of course because often when people come to the studio it is the first time I've met them so it was bound to happen with our kind of down the line interviews as well. So yes, um, great to talk to Ruben and I'm delighted to bring you the interview and um as far as life goes for me, <coughs> excuse me, as far as life goes for me, um, what am I doing? I'm doing voiceovers. I'm doing a couple of voiceovers tomorrow, which I'm really happy about. Um, not just because it's work, but also because I get to use my voice. I love to use my voice and I'm trying to learn more about it. Um, so it's a great opportunity. A couple of voiceovers that are quite different tomorrow, which is good. Um, and the home studio setup is at a point now where it's sufficient for that, which is great. So um, I'm very happy about that and that's that's going to keep me busy as well. Um, other than that, what else can I tell you? I mean, not much, you know how it is. Lockdown continues. I'm trying to be very good. I'm trying to play by the rules as much as I can. 
Um, I was talking to Peter Forbes today, uh, who's been on the show before some time ago. Um, so we're going to have him on again. We must have him on again because he's a wonderful, wonderful man. Um, and he was, he gave me a call this morning. And he was just telling me what he's up to. We're just catching up. But funnily enough, we ended up just talking about voice work the whole time because he's doing audiobooks. Um, which is something I've never done and I was kind of picking his brains about that because it's something I'd like to do. And uh, he's got his home studio set up, which meant that I started to twist his arm to say, come on, you need to come back on the podcast. So I think he's keen for that. Um, so much of my time just now is spent kind of looking to see who's who's got the set up, who's keen, who's not been on the show. I mean, I love to have returning guests as well, but I'm trying to widen the net as much as possible so if you have ideas of of people you'd like to hear on the show you can give me a shout um you can do it on the usual channels on the social media pit cc pod um or you can drop me an email brian at putting it together com, and uh yeah i'm receptive i'd love to hear from you i always like hearing from people so yes i mean sometimes i'm especially during lockdown limited to the people that i've already connected with in some way of course we mostly have mutual friends if we're in this business um but, you know, if, the, if there's someone else you think, then please do let me know because I love to hear that. Um, and the other thing that I'm working on at the moment, it's in its very early stages. Um, I'm doing a new special for this podcast, which will come out separately, but on this channel. Um, and it's kind of, a, it's about race, really. I mean, it's it's about the black experience in theatre and the arts. And of course, it's not just me. Um, but I'm with Colette Del Chancho. I'm trying to we're trying to have sort of a series of extended conversations where we almost compare our experiences and to, to see where the disparities are and really highlight them um, in things like casting, uh, rehearsal, makeup, costume, different areas of the industry. Um, and it's just based on our experience. So, of course, it's not exhaustive or, or solving um, the problems of the world. It's, it's more just meditating on where things are at and how our experiences differ. Um, that's about all I can really tell you at the moment because we're still putting it together, as it were. Uh, but I hope to be bringing out, I think, four special episodes in between the normal episodes. So they won't be Wednesday releases. They'll be uh, over and above your usual podcast. So look out for details of that coming up just about as soon as we know. Um, and of course, in the last couple of days, we've had the announcement of, of um, funding packages to help save the arts, which is tremendous. I mean, the first thing we got was was the notification of £10 million from the Scottish government, quickly followed by £1.57 billion from the UK government. And it's great news, um, especially for people who are really struggling and for venues that are really struggling, I think. Um, it remains to be seen exactly how that's going to work, of course, and um, I'm no expert in, in that type of thing. But, you know, it's certainly good news, and hopefully that my first thought was, apart from the people I know who are struggling, um, because, of course, people can, we can find other ways. A lot of people are diversifying. They're trying to find other work, you know, leaning on other skills. Um, but the thing that, you know, venues can't do that as much. I mean, it's a venue is a venue. And, and if it's unfunded, it's just going to die um, or become, I don't know, a bingo hall or something else. So I'm really hopeful that this injection of funds can save some of the venues we know and love from going under because that's just, it's unthinkable, really. Um so yes, I'm just I'm full of hope that this money will be directed in, in the, into the right places, will be well used. And then the other great thing that I've been seeing online is the idea that we have got a chance to rebuild. And do we want to rebuild from the scraps back to what we had? Or do we want to start again and build something that's better, that works better? 
that's more inclusive um that's that does more outreach that you know um that covers a broader range of, of subjects of people's experience i mean all those questions that we're always asking now is a chance for us to build uh, our industry around those things and um you know have a, have a total rethink so hopefully that's what's going to happen because obviously to rebuild something that was already struggling and had beset by problems um that we're always talking about would be silly we've got a chance now to, to start again and do it differently so i mean yeah who knows what that looks like and um it's exciting though it's an exciting time and i'm very thankful that it's happening so yes i mean that's about that's about the size of it from me I hope you're doing well and, you know, keeping safe and all the rest of it. You know, lockdown does continue. Of course, it, it feels different and things are somewhat going back to normal for many people. And as I've talked about before on the show, even though the world is starting to go back to normal, for artists, it's kind of it's kind of not. Um, it's not as if we can all traipse back to the theatre and kind of pick up where we left off. It's going to be a long time before we do that. And it may be completely different. It may not be what we left. Um... So it's that I find quite strange because I feel like the world is waking up and going back to work and doing things um, and people are maybe excited about that or kind of got a buzz on and and for us in the arts and it, it's not the same. Um, we don't really get to join in that feeling of, right, let's get back to it. Um, but w- what we do have an opportunity to do is is go back to the drawing board and think of different things and I'm enjoying the change, you know, Um feel really fortunate to still have the show that I'm doing and and also the voiceover work and stuff um so you know it's it's fun to I've I've a tendency to see the positives with these things I go okay this is an opportunity to to do things differently um partly because if I think about how sad and tragic it all is I, I can't bear it um so yeah it's it's got its positives and I'm trying to focus on them um and I'm enjoying seeing what people are doing. You know, I've been—I was delighted to see that Ruben had made his EP during lockdown, and that's just an example of people staying creative, keeping doing stuff. Um, and there's lots of other examples of that. So I'm enjoying seeing that people turning their hand to different disciplines, and you know, keeping busy, keeping creative. Um, and then, of course, we have to be careful that we don't just do everything for free and then create a culture where there's no. Um, monetary value based around what we do um that's a tricky one because we want to keep doing stuff and we're eager to to work and to be involved in stuff um so that's always a challenge but i'm i'm enthused by the amount of stuff i'm seeing people doing as i've said many times um other than that i'm not i'm not reading as much um i am back on the bike which is a great joy um and obviously listening to the podcast and the music um the reading has kind of gone by the wayside. Do you ever get that? Do you get kind of phases? I've gone through phases. Sometimes I read loads. Um, the last week or so, I've just I've barely looked at a book. Um, but you know, still lots of telly. Uh, trying not to watch complete rubbish, which is difficult and tempting. Um, but you know, it's it definitely all comes in phases. I think the moods, the the reading, the the watching and eating of rubbish. I think it comes in, in waves. Um, the last couple of days. The mood's been kind of dodge, you know, and today not so much, but uh, yesterday and the day before, quite challenging, a couple of days, um, and it's weird, you just wake up, like I woke up this morning and I was just 
felt okay and just I've just got on and I've had a good day I've been busy productive I've also managed a nap and a bit of time chatting to friends and all the things I like to do and I've got loads of work done and yesterday I could have seen it far enough you know I don't know it's a strange old business but acceptance is key I think you just go okay just go with it whatever it is so yes um, I'm excited about the show and I'm excited about the guests have coming up um I've got some ideas in the bag and also this new special which I'm working on um it's all quite exciting and I'm looking forward to bringing you today's episode with Ruben Joseph yeah um a wee bit of a wee bit of chat about what it is to be mixed race you know what that experience is because I'm I'm so kind of keen to talk about that stuff now and I think I I think I did I'm di- I'm sort of disappointed when I look back that I didn't talk about these things more um but you don't know what you don't know and I don't suppose there's any point in me giving us a hard time now, but um, I'm glad that we're able to have more and more of these conversations. And you know, it's by all means, it's not it's not new, the the plight of of racism or you know, institutional racism, systemic racism is no new thing. But um, I'm starting to learn, and um, I'm glad to be able to to talk about it on this show because I think this is a great platform for it. So yeah, we talk a bit about that and. Um, as I say about the EP and just about life in general and it's fun you know I've ne- never met him in real life but that's increasingly the way of it um, so hopefully we will meet one day so I think it's about time that I brought you that interview so sit back and relax and just enjoy take a wee hour out of your day or whatever you're doing to, to have a wee listen and um, I hope that it brings some like I say some peace some solace perhaps some inspiration so here we are it's me and Ruben Joseph and we are putting it together So, have we ever met before? I don't think we have. No, I don't believe so. I was, I guess, listening to the podcast and seeing the guests, I guess we'll have many mutual acquaintances in common, of course, but yeah, yeah. as is the way, but no, oh. I don't think we have. I don't, I don't. So were you supposed to go out with Cheviot? Um, no, I was doing Cheviot. So I did the Cheviot, the Cheviot tour in 2019, so I wasn't going to be part of this um, next one. Um, oh, right. Okay. Which is um, a shame. I'm glad uh, not to be with those of the guys. But I was yeah. doing. Um, I was doing another. I had a, a TV job come up. So. And is that also off or cancelled or postponed or what? This is. It's postponed. I feel quite lucky in terms of. Was, so yeah, we were. I was a couple of weeks in filming when that and everything got shut down. And they're saying hopefully that we're going to be going back in mid-August. Oh, okay. So I feel very lucky. I've got work to go down to uh, back to because it seems theatre is more up in the air right now as to when everything yeah, returns. It's be a long time. Although in the last in the last twenty four hours we've had good news at least. We have indeed, yeah. That's that's a great. Chance to rebuild a hope. I hope so. It's it's fun they've not they have, they've not specified, have they, how, as to how um funds are gonna be split or No, I don't think it's want. been made clear yet. Of course everybody's got an opinion. That's the interesting thing now. They, that one statement comes out and then I just watch Twitter explode with everyone's idea of how it should be done. Mm. Which means that, you know, not everybody's going to be happy with how it's done, but I mean, it's still, it's a great thing, isn't it? Definitely, definitely. It seems like, so, yeah. Oh, sorry, go on. So what's, what's the telly job? Are you able to tell us that? Um, I think so. I'm t- so it's a BBC drama um, called mm-hmm. Vigil. Um, and it's uh, kind of both, it's both set at sea and on land. Essentially, they're a uh, member of a Navy submarine is, uh, has dies on board. 
and they need and police scotland are uh, bringing the detective to go and uh, try and have a three-day investigation on the submarine and mm-hmm. so saran jones is in it she plays amy and goes um goes on board to try and figure out what's going on and um rose leslie um for game of thrones is uh plays kirsten and i'm kind of I guess a de facto kind of like sidekick helping her do the investigation from land and stuff. So, but it's right. funny. I you, you don't. I, I still don't kind of fully have a grasp on it, you know, because like it was just like shut down. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. So fun. Yeah. I'm always fascinated by by things about submarines. I have some sort of. Oh, at the moment, actually, it's it's prisons. I know they're not the same thing, but like, <laughs> well, it seems to be watching a lot of documentaries the... about prisons. Yeah, just this idea of being kind of or oil rigs, you know, being isolated. Oh, Hermits, yeah. all that stuff always fascinates me. So I'm kind of I jump between them, but submarines has definitely been one. I watched a, a documentary series about living and working on a submarine once, and I was kind of I know I couldn't do it, but I'm fascinated by the people that can, you know. Yeah, it's it's a completely like foreign mindset to me, isn't it? I'm like mm. I'm so I'm so weird about like daylight. It's like such an important thing. Like it's like you just must lose all sense of time being down there and yeah. completely bruised from being in a completely wee metal can and everything, but. No. How strange that people. I mean, people choose to do that. I suppose they get really well paid, don't they? That's, that's well. A, that'll be the incentive, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, did you ever think about doing other things? You know, when you were growing up, other jobs. Um. No, I think it was always going to be something creative. I thought the first. I think the first job I wanted to do was I wanted to um, score movies and right. uh, write soundtracks because I don't know my family's very like music influenced and. Uh, like my granddad was a jazz musician and my uncle's a great um, uh, pianist as well. So it's just kind of in the family. And oh, cool. I, that was like my first love, I think. I had a, sp- I had a Spider-Man. Um, do, you know, do, you, do you watch superhero movies at all? Mm, not really. I didn't remember right. as a kid. Like. Yeah. So there was um, got the, like the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies from like 2004. Mm. I remember they had like a, a DVD, a DVD extras um, section and... It did a really good job of breaking down every department. Like they had like a whole like twenty minute special on, on the camera, on lighting, on stunt crew, on mm-hmm. and on like sound and foley and stuff. And I remember just loving. I remember watching the like the scoring section over and over again. So I think that was mm-hmm. my my first love was just like, was uh music definitely. Mm-hmm. What did your granddad do then? You said he was a jazz musician. Yeah, he was he was like the resident uh, pianist at uh, Glen Eagles. Oh, cool! In hotel over there. Yeah, so for years he he played there and stuff. He was he was like part of a Windrush generation that uh, came over in the fifties. He and my grandma both born in Dominica, and he moved to Scot. He first moved to London. My dad was born, and then they moved up to um, Scotland, and he got a job there. He lived in Coatbridge. And did he play with other musicians at the hotel, or was it more like on his own on the piano kind of thing? I imagine it would have been a mix, but I don't know to tell you the truth, honestly. I don't know too much about my granddad, actually. Right. It's fascinating, though. I mean, the little influences, isn't it? Totally. I mean, my yeah. dad's a musician, not by trade, or partly by trade, but he worked for the NHS. Oh, wow, and yet really? Our music is so different. Like, he's mad for Scottish music, I really like like Irish music and you wouldn't believe but they're really different when did that distinction like come in when what was your influence for Irish music um well we both play music for Irish dancing competitions right and he taught me that and stuff and yet the, it just seems to be like the types of 
they're, they're similar structures, the music and stuff like that. And obviously you've, you've always got reels and jigs and hornpipes and stuff. But the, the Scottish tunes are different types of tunes. They have different little hooks in them. Mm. You know, they tend to have different patterns. And he seems to like those. And for some reason, I heard Irish tunes on the scene and I just always preferred them. So now we have this kind of, we compare. And, it, and he if I get in his car, he plays all Scottish music, like really traditional, really old-fashioned Scottish music. <laughs> and it's like constant. My poor mother is driven mad with it. Um, oh, but God. he does an Irish music radio show now. And oh. he's sort of a blend of the two, and he's always kind of coming to me to say, "What should I put on it now?" So it's great. I'm like getting to be exec producer for the music. Oh, brilliant! You you, you know <laughs> yeah. what's happening in the Irish music scene. I'm keeping him. I'm keeping him up to date as much as I can. Yeah, keeping he doesn't right. want to push the boat out too far. You should start a rival um, Scottish trad radio show. I think. <laughs> well, the station that he's on has got loads of that, so he's trying to avoid the Scottish element as much as possible, and he's he's in charge of the Irish bit. Uh-huh. So. It's funny that we've had that kind of crossover where he's always been the one championing the Scottish music in our house, but there you go. Um, So you were brought up with music all around you then? Aye, totally, totally. Stevie Wonder is just like embaked in the DNA, you know. (laughs) That album, uh, Songs in the Key of Life, was just like on repeat always in the house. Right, and did you play as a child? Um, I I learned saxophone, I think age 10. Um, Our teacher came in and said, oh, we've got a great music programme, so um, starting now, so would anyone here like to learn an instrument? And a bunch of kids put up their hand and it was, she was said, we've got clarinet, we've got like five clarinets, we've got three flutes and five saxophones. And I was like, oh, I'm having sax, definitely. <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was it's a fascinating thing, the thing that that was, you know, you don't, you don't take, you take it for granted at the time, but that was so lucky just to have that like, land in, land in your hands, do you know? Like, yeah, offered to you. Do yeah, you who totally. wants to do this? You just stick your hand up. It's bloody brilliant, yeah. So, yeah, started learning sax, and I've kind of let that waver, you know, after leaving school because mm-hmm. I'm not being, I've, I'm very rusty on it still. But that kind of that's like your gateway into other stuff, and all like bits of piano and guitar now. And you sing as well. I mean, I was listening to your new EP. Oh, nice one. You sing beautifully. Oh, thank you very much. That's very kind. Lots of falsetto, which I enjoyed. Okay. Oh, thank you. That was that was a recent-ish discovery. I didn't. Pr- yeah. I don't think I took this the singing properly. Like I always did it through school and like the like school shows and stuff. But I think in the past, since going to college, the past couple of years, it's been proper concerted effort to try and well, let's try yeah. and not even make something of the music, just like make good stuff for me and put it out. And it's great that people people enjoy it. Yeah, especially know. at this time, I think if you you know if you've got the facility to do it from where you are. Yeah. Have you recorded the the EP during lockdown? Um yes, I did, yeah. So part of it right. part of it was recorded when I was living up in Glasgow and then I have you should see my setup right now. This is hilarious. I'm in the corner of my mum's room because it's the least echoey room in the house and I've <laughs> I've got my laptop on my desk and I'm facing the corner of the wall. I've got three duvets stuffed in the corner to try and deaden the sound <laughs> this is i sort of have a version of this conversation with everyone who comes on the show now they're like uh, so i'm in a cupboard <laughs> <laughs> it's the scrambling to try and adjust to the new world isn't it you gotta do it yeah i mean i'm trying to do voiceovers and i'm always worried about like this morning i suddenly started thinking i've got this voiceover to do and what if the gardener comes and they start with the the more outside i'm it's ruined you know i know because well, if it's a podcast, I can say to the person, hang on, I'll get you in an hour. But if there's a bunch of people getting on a Zoom call from all over 
the country or something. I don't know how it's going to work. Yeah, anyway. you've got no, you've got no. I know it's lucky it's sunny today and it's sunny Helensburgh today because if it was raining, you would most be definitely. You would think I'd be drowning. Honestly, this the roof here is so thin. <laughs> well, I was worried about the sun because I was like, everyone's going to come out and decide to cut their grass now. God, you know, because well, it's the one sunny day. But we seem to be okay so far. I don't want to tempt fate. I think, yeah, I'm not knocking wood. So you were you played music in school, and then at some point, did you did you think oh, I'm going to do this this scoring thing, or I'm going to write music for a living, or did did you, I mean was there a changeover when you thought I want to perform as well? Um, I think it was um school musicals. We did uh we the first one I did was Les Mis, and how was um. I think I had like was like three lines as a student, yeah. and that was just good fun because it was like kind of got dragged into it by friends who were just happened to be uh, pals with like very confident like kind of actory kids at school, mm-hmm. and then ended up doing that and getting dragged along to like drama um, groups to hang out. And then I remember doing West Side Story was one of the shows we did next, and from that point onwards, it was I just remember having I you get you get the bug, don't you? It's like yeah. the feeling of are like oh, yeah i can't explain it but it's nice so from that point onwards um i think yeah i was like concerted effort of like oh, i'm gonna try and uh do more of this and ended up doing more school shows and then come into school it was like right i'm gonna try and go off to college mm-hmm. i was lucky to have like a very supportive family who there was none of the like go get a proper job it was just total, nothing but total support to go and yeah go and try that out but also have a backup just in case. Oh yeah, of course they'll back up. What what is the backup? Is there one? <laughs> this whole pandemic's made me realise that there really isn't actually. So I need a... <laughs> but nobody has any anymore. <laughs> you know, actually thinking about it, my mum was when I was going off like applying to like um, drama schools and like colleges and stuff. She said you should have you should have a backup. Like philosophy, that would be a good backup. Philosophy. <laughs> so, I yeah. In retrospect, that I don't know what she was thinking there, but no, there's. I would say there's less jobs in philosophy than there would be in a. There would be an acting. Yeah, and that's saying something. Aye. I think my backup is like a sort of staunch belief that I'll be all right. <laughs> you know what I mean, I just kind of have always just been like blind confidence. Right. Yeah, and I don't even mean in the arts. I just mean like, I know I'll be all right. Like I'll I'll live. No, it's, it's a feeling I've always had since I was a kid even when I was getting a hard time at school and when I didn't know what I was going to do well, I'd be alright you know somehow yeah. but if your dad was that's funny so your dad worked for the NHS what did he do? Uh, initially he was a psychiatric nurse when okay. I was growing up like when I was very young he was a community psychiatric nurse so he would go out and visit patients who lived in the community with ongoing like chronic mental health problems and stuff like that God, right. um, administer meds check in on people stuff like that and then for the last I think for the last about 15 years of his working life, he was seconded and did IT work because he's right into computers, spreadsheets, formula, stuff like that. So he mm. kind of moved on from that and and helped people with, with IT. That's brilliant. But the weekends when I was growing up, especially when I was very young, he went out and played every weekend at Irish dancing competitions because they, they never had any money. So it's like he had to go out and play. So he worked seven days a week when I was a kid. And still had made space for like the music and everything. That's brilliant. Yeah, well, the music was was the job. You know, was was, was half of his income. You know, and he yeah. sent me to lessons when I was five. Whether I don't think I expressed an interest or or otherwise, I think <laughs> I was just go. That was it. I was going. You know, that was your option. Yeah. So and then was he very supportive in terms of you wanting to go off and do the acting? Yeah, I mean, a bit like you. My parents have never they've never really said. I think they just took it as read if I said that, that I was into it and 
I was passionate about it, then they just they just supported. They never really they never passed comment either way, but they always supported everything. They came to see all the shows, and they still do. Um, yeah. I don't know. Like maybe they maybe they caught on to my feeling that I was going to be all right. They were just like, I think he's going to be all right. <laughs> He seems he to believe he's going to be alright. Right. <laughs> if he believes it, then that's fine. He seems very sure of himself. I don't know why. You know, he's got no evidence. <laughs> that ar- that that confidence. That's that's what he needs to make it as an actor. Unshakable confidence. Unshakable. But it's funny. Like you hear about other people's story. You hear about other people's pathways and like the resistance, like people face and like lack of opportunity and like they still they've made it and yeah, still made it as like performers. Yeah, I mean, and family, resistance in the family as well. It's terrible yeah, when you hear yeah, what yeah. people go through. It makes me furious. I have no artistic struggle, do you know? <laughs> what are we supposed to do with that? Exactly. How dull. <laughs> <laughs> you can make it up. I mean, but, I've still got I've struggles inside my own head. No oh. one made, it, made them on for me, but I've got them, you know. I've got a really great character backstory for myself. <laughs> yeah, real sob story, <laughs> internal. So, so did you go straight from school into some sort of college or drama school? Yeah, I went to Langside College, ah. which was well, formerly Langside, now Glasgow Clyde College. Of course, yeah. Um, but yeah, so did the acting course there for three years. With DLM. Oh, yes, with DLM. Do you know him? Uh, a little bit. I, I MD'd a panto for them a few, maybe 10 years ago, actually. Oh, God. Um, and he was using current and past students. It was a professional panto that was at St Andrews at the Bayer. Oh, I see. But it was kind of like using the college. It was partly college production, partly professional or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was involved in that. So we worked together for a little bit. Nice one. But there's a lot of good people have gone there. Yeah. Started out there. Yeah. It seems to be, I don't know, at one time it seemed to be like, you know, starting school for the RCS, you know, like. Yeah. Um. Like I applied for all the drama school, um, drama schools, and then like after like my first year, I still applied. But you know what? I'm so in retrospect, I'm so happy. Like they 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 say the school's got to be right for you as well. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I feel like Langside was the perfect environment in which it was very like safe to fail, and yeah. you could also get away with some cheeky stuff that might not fly elsewise but yeah like so you can get some of that stuff out of your system in a way yeah 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 so it was i it was the perfect environment um for you and we also do all the we did like um we we crewed other shows and built the set and stuff and um made prop yeah. and props and everything for other years so it kind of it's a good base kind of layer in terms of if, if people realize like a year in like oh acting's not for me but i really enjoy the 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 crew elements or the directing it kind of gives you it was a good space to give you like a chance to like flex your creative muscles and be like oh what else can I do and what else do I enjoy doing of course yeah and were you were you saying you were applying for other places whilst you were there year on year yeah because I don't know it was drilled into my head that so talking about like how Spider Man watching that was my influence the other influence big time was growing up was Doctor Who and then you see and then you hear about I remember seeing like David Tennant and then finding out, oh, he's from he's from Glasgow. That's near me. Oh, he went to this school, and he's and he's Doctor Who. That's what I'll do. And I, you just had it kind of drilled in your head, drilled in your head by myself that that's that is <laughs> yeah. the mark that is the the benchmark for success is going to drama school, and it kind of became a point of oh, why am I doing this? Am I applying for drama school because I want the training or am I doing it because I think that is the measure of success and not to knock those, that's what you do yeah, yeah not to knock those schools or actors that come out the schools they're brilliant and so necessary but but yeah I think for me 
it was more about the perceived success of getting to drama school because that was that's the that's how you show that you're you're good enough to be an actor yeah but yeah kind of so so did you not go in the end no no i just went to i graduated langside in 2018 and i've right i've been very i've had a really lucky start yeah Um, so what happened did you did you get uh, signed by an agent when you did a showcase or something um yeah we got to do a showcase in the end of our third year and managed to get signed from an agent and was really lucky i started um auditioning and my first gig was um nts did a remount of uh midsummer for the oh, yeah. Ed- uh, edinburgh international um festival so i so i got to kind of i was doing i was doing the music as well in that show i was kind of that that role was a bit of a go between because there was um because before it was like a two-hander and they upped it to a main cast of four and then a band of three and I was kind yeah. of part of the band, so I was kind of jumping between singing songs and uh, playing guitar and, and cajon and like jumping into kind of wee bits, filling in, filling out wee kind of actory bits where they needed some mm-hmm. um, somebody to to do it. But it's a great kind of a job though, because you can show that you're capable of all those different things I in one show. Yeah, yeah, totally. But my God, it's a great. It was a great first job, and got to learn so much. But um, from like other actors, there was Benny Young. Um, was kind of on that as well, and he's such a great actor to to watch. In terms he's amazing, of, yeah. Oh, I, not enough good words for that man in terms of yep. what how it is to lead a company, and like the process of working. But I think the entire time it was like my first job, and even for the f- like next few jobs after that, I just had such a panicky feeling the entire time of I don't know what I'm doing, and they're gonna find <laughs> yeah. out. Oh, totally natural, yeah. Which I didn't. Nobody told me. Nobody told me this at all. So I was for the first couple of jobs, I was having kind of like through the rehearsal process, having a kind of a terrible time of it. Like really feeling so lucky and like in the positions I was in, but also like this is this is awful. They're gonna find out, and that will be me over. And it, and you didn't know that was a thing. You thought that was unique to you. Nobody, nobody. Um, <laughs> it's funny the thing in retrospect, like the elements of training they prepare you for and the parts they don't. But I wish somebody had told me that. It was actually um, right up until we did Chevy at last year. Joe, Joe Douglas um, was great for having helpful chats with, and he spoke. To, he, I kind of explained it to him. Said I've just had. I always have these panicky feelings in rehearsals and. By this point, I was like aware of the like, the process of terms of mm-hmm. me being horrible, like horribly awkward and not myself during rehearsals. And then when we hit the show, then I can kind of like open up and like be myself a bit. But he said, yeah. he said, but Ruben, you're you've just started. You've not done your 10,000 hours. And like it was almost like he flipped a switch in my head. I was like, oh, yeah, that's totally fine for me to be. Like, he, he let me be nervous or let me be right. be myself. It was, like, a funny way of phrasing that I'd not heard it before. And, you know, since then, it's been it's been much more manageable. But I wish, yeah. That's great. I wish that it, kind of reassurance that you're, you're still actually working your... Doing your time, you're working your apprenticeship almost. Total, yeah, he, yeah, he mentioned it as an apprenticeship as well, yeah. He said, go and try and total up um, the hours you've spent in drama classes and rehearsals. And mm-hmm. see and see if you can figure out your ten thousand hours and where that will hit. Yeah, it was yeah really helpful way of like framing it. But and then you find out that oh this is a thing that everybody um, goes through. And even if you're not a beginner, even if you're you've been in the industry oh, yeah, for years, we all have it. I think. Yeah, definitely. 
Joe Douglas is such a wonderful director, though. He, you know, keeps things so grounded, I think. Mm. He gives a great sense of, like, company. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. He's really good. But the other, like, nerve-wracking element of it that I think, looking back, was maybe that for those... So my first four jobs... Yeah, first four, yeah, first four jobs were all, in some way or another, remounts or recastings of shows that sure. had been on. Mm. And I, w- I wonder if there was, like, that expectation, oh, I've got to kind of... There's a bar that I need to meet or I, that I want to be better than or as good as. But then you're when, filling in someone's shoes, yeah. going into someone else's shoes, yeah, yeah, a little bit. A so little what were bit. those other jobs? You had Midsummer, uh, Cheviot. Um, yeah, so I had Midsummer, and then I did Christmas Carol at the Sits um, yeah. in 2018, which was like a kind of a fairly completely new cast, but still a remount of the version they'd done in, I think it was like ten years before, a few years before. Mm-hmm. But Benny, so Benny Young was on my first job, Midsummer, and then he was Scrooge. He was our evil, mm. eyebrow, eccentric Scrooge on Christmas Carol. <laughs> He'd be great. I didn't see that one. Oh, he was brilliant. It was a great. It was a great show. It was, and again, that was uh, uh, very music influenced. Of all the actors, kind of jumping into roles and uh, yeah, doing uh, doing music and stuff. And then after that, I ended up doing anything that gives off light, which was. Ah. Um, production from a few years ago at the International Festival in Edinburgh as well that they were then doing a wee US kind of mini tour of uh, doing a remount of so I ended up going to Virginia and Kentucky and uh, we had a couple of weeks in New York as well which was oh nice ridiculous yeah it was it was a yeah it was a great time where was that at St Anne's um no we did it um we were in the, we had two versions of the show we had one version that was like on a big stage um, with like the full set similar to the one they did before. And then we had a slightly remounted version um, that was kind of pub appropriate, if that makes sense. Right. Like It was just like three mics and the band on stage and we had a version of the show um, working like that. And we did that in uh, Joe's Pub um, space, which is like kind of the kind of cabaret venue of uh, the public theatre um, in cool. New York, just off Broadway. So yeah. That's a pretty solid first couple of years. Aye, it was nuts. It was totally nuts. Um Start. And it's ongoing. I mean, obviously it's on hiatus just now, but that's not that's not through any concern of yours. It's just the way things are, right? Yeah. Well, I hope so. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see when we go back. But yeah, it's been. I just that first year, especially, and even to extent what I'm doing now, was just like such another good year of formal training. Do you know what I mean? I'm yeah. Just like getting to grips because there's only so much you can ever do to prepare for. Um, prepare for work. You can just gonna or like it's like riding a bike in it. You you can study about it, but you need to actually start doing that and just learning to manage. It was all the elements yeah. inside of the acting that were like were the biggest jumps to manage in terms of like like the whole imposter syndrome of I'm not good enough and stuff, and navigating different rehearsal rooms because you're so used to, and when you're in a drama school or a college uh, course, you study with the same people for like three years at a time and you get so used to each other in the rehearsal room and then you're immediately thrown into like a different world with like new people and it ch- keeps changing every time so it's like trying to get used of course, to it. Yeah. and this i'm sure is all very obvious to people but it was it was it was the stuff that no one kind of prepares you for and you can trying to get used to it yeah well it's news to everybody when, yeah when it first happens but you're right i mean being in drama school is almost like being in a wee rep company yeah and you get to know people's strengths and you know the type of characters they play really well and you know how they work mm. and 
then suddenly you have to learn a whole new one and you've only got probably eight weeks together or something yeah but it's nice you like it's like you collect kind of pals along the way because the nature of the job is like you've got to be very available and open with a kind of a group of strangers for eight weeks at a time and then they're gone but it's kind of it's yeah. it's like you're able to slot back into that when you see them again and get to and if you're lucky get to work with them on other stuff as well yeah is it, it's nice when it comes back round and you get to work with someone again yeah and you know you know how they work and you've you know that you've gotten on well and stuff like that that's a beautiful thing yeah so i have to ask then um well first of all what what's your mum's heritage my mum um my mum was born in scotland but she grew up in uh manchester but she's um she is from an Anglo-Saxon, English-Scottish mm-hmm. family, and yeah, my dad was my dad's side is all uh, Caribbean from like the island of Dominica. Yep. So how I mean, even going back to school, then how aware were you of of being mixed race, and and how how present was that in your kind of day to day experience? I remember in primary school not so much, but I remember like mm-hmm. one one of my first days of primary school um on the way out of school a wee girl came up to me um and said you're the color of a chocolate milkshake and like and i didn't think anything of it i was like oh yeah and then i went to my mum and said uh so-and-so said i'm a color of a chocolate milkshake not wanting to like grass her up or anything i just thought it was like a funny observation and i remember my mum mum's face um going blank and then like walking over and have a having a stern conversation with the wee girl and i i remember thinking oh i've not that's a reaction i've not seen before Mm -hmm. and you're you're obviously aware of it to some extent but i wasn't truly aware of it till i got to high school and then first day of high school you've got people i remember in art class i've got i had kids sit beside me um, people beside me going, so Ruben, how big is your dick? Whoa. And going, okay. And I, I was like, uh, I, I don't know. I, and then how, how do you like, your dad's a chef, right? Yeah. Yeah. Does he, was he, do he cook a lot of fried chicken? Does he, does your family love watermelon? And I, oh and I did not have the frame of reference for these conversations. And I just didn't understand what was going on because for whatever reason, for reasons I've now talked to my dad about since, we had never properly sit down and discussed that this is what life is like as a person mm-hmm. of colour. This is what life is like as a person of colour in a predominantly white country. And you'd see, you, I've seen my dad receive abuse, but not kind of understanding the base principles of racism, but not understanding the legacy of these horrendous stereotypes. Yeah. So there's all that. And... I think I th- well I know for a lot of these kids in school I was the first person of color they were meeting especially in my wee town in Helensburg there was like you could count the number of minority families on one hand yeah um, of course at the time. so it's out of ignorance as much as anything else totally not, totally not knowing and ignorance I don't mind but yeah you do then start to there was there was quite a bit of racism in school growing up and yeah it's. It's funny their culture, um, their frame of reference for what a black person is or a person of color is, um, is so influenced by the media they consume and the and the only media that I guess at the time um, that had predominantly people of color was like American culture. So I was yeah. like, oh, Ruben, do you do you, can you rap? Do you like play music? Can you dance well? And mm-hmm. then I felt I had to start living up to 
to the American stereotypes of what a person of colour was. And Even though they weren't relevant to you in any way? None, none whatsoever. And yeah. it was such a confusing time for me. So then by the end of, by the end of high school, I, I think, like, because uh, school's a hard time for everyone and you, you're desperately try, like, trying new things and, like, you're going through puberty and you're trying to figure out what your personality is and who you are as a person. And so I think I had, by the end of high school, through other people kind of suggestions and uh, influences, I had like carved out this personality, this persona of me. Like I was the I was the cool black kid of the school. Mm. And then almost by necessity. Yeah, yeah, as a mm. coping mechanism. And then you get to college, and the 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 pool of diversity is a little wider, and you meet actual black people. And then I had to go from that to realize, oh, I'm not actually black. <laughs> well, then what am I? <laughs> Trying to figure that out. Yeah. But yeah. You had this all sorted. You're like, I've got it sussed. I'm the black yeah, guy. Yeah, I was like, finally, <laughs> well, no, right. I've got that. Oh, no. Okay. Wait. Oh, you're actually black? Oh, your hair's braided? Shit. Okay. Oh, boy. Let me figure that one out. But actually, I'm going to totally plug myself now because my sisters, when I told them I was coming on this, they said, you have to, you have to, you have to tell them about this. So we, my sisters and I, after the recent, um, uh, after George Floyd's death, there mm. was... It was not the first, and it won't be the last of um, of police um, brutality and uh, people of color being murdered in the streets. But for whatever reason, this time it felt there was like a tangible kind of tension that we were feeling. And through like the motivation of my sisters, they were talking. They wanted to to try and do something, and um, we were talking about when did we encounter racism the most growing up and for us, the kind of common denominator was um, school. So um, we have written an open letter to uh, Nicola Sturgeon and to Secretary of Education Schools, John Sweeney, um, about addressing race in Scottish schools. And we're kind of looking like at three points. Like one of is diversify the curriculum of what we teach about black history, especially in Scotland, mm. like so much of the slave trade that is just not explained. Like we think like the tobacco lords as like kind of founding fathers and not actually a lot of context for how they made their wealth. Yeah, of course. So we wanted to try and diversify the education and also what we, um, it's materials used by like um, people of color, creatives and academics. And we want to try and diversify like people of color on the teaching staff and like as part of the leadership. And we also want to, talking to um, pals of ours who are in teacher training, apparently there's no formal form of education for teachers in terms of how to deal with race. Wow. In dealing, and dealing with racism in the classroom. Mm -hmm. There is just a kind of vague, kind of broad sense that you would deal with it in the same way you would deal with bullying, but there is no nothing that specifically addresses race in a teacher training. So we've written this open letter and there's a wee petition um, to go with it that we're hoping to try and get to Nicola Sturgeon. She, she's no she's no seen as yet, but she will. Mm -hmm. But um, she will, yeah. She will. Well, I hope so. So, so we can, you can let me know and we can share it and stuff then from the show. Brilliant. It's, the website is reparationineducation.carrd.co um, So that's reparationineducation.card.co I'm sorry for promoting my own agenda on your platform. I will stop now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. And I want you to promote your 
uh, your EP as well, or your music in general, because I've been listening to it and I thought it was beautifully done. Well, thank you very much. I have got a wee, I've got a wee EP out called Things They Know, and it's on uh, Spotify and Apple Music, wherever you get your wherever you get your tunes. Gorgeous, and uh, presumably you've done all that yourself. Yeah, yeah, I've, um, been producing, and with again with help of the sisters of playing them countless demos. And I'm saying, mm, no, that's rubbish. Cut that. <laughs> you need to do this better. Oh, they're useful for that then. If if anything, yes, they're use, useful for negative criticism. <laughs> but no, they're great. <laughs> You've known that for years, though. Okay, I know that very well. So tell me, how do you write? Like, what? what I mean, people always ask that because they ask me when I write as well. Like, is it words first? Is it music first? Do you do you write a little lick or what? You know, tell me about it. So I guess I guess it's different for most projects, and it? it's just. I think sometimes I'll start with with like a, a riff or I feel like you've got to write a bunch of rubbish mm-hmm. before something good comes out. So I make a point of like, I've got like a separate notebook of writing like the worst lyrics I can think of. <laughs> so I think I think it's like you know you know when you get a pen and you're trying to and a, like a viral that's not working you have to like scribble for ages until eventually yep. like thing comes out I kind of think of it like that like I just write absolute <laughs> nash until I have until I write something down like oh actually that's all right and use that as a starting point sometimes but I guess well, it's different that's a good idea I mean I yeah I guess I do that in the sense that I call I always call the first version of the script draft zero uh-huh. and it's with the expressed intention that no one has to look at it they can if i end up being kind of happy with it but it's allowed to just be terrible yeah it kind of yeah it gives you the freedom to like just fail and just write absolute naff and then yeah make it better yeah so when did you start working on the ep um i started well i'd had one of the songs uh read for about a year and just been sitting on it and then come lockdown in my flat in glasgow i was thinking well i need to just try and do something so i'd started recording it's funny like when you say like how's the writing happen so red that's one one of my songs i'd had for a year and then after that i thought oh well, i need something upbeat so i just started like a couple of the other songs bounce just came um in the space of about an hour and a half just came mm-hmm. out it's funny it's never it's i'm i the only thing i'm consistent about is how inconsistent i am in terms of <laughs> my writing yeah i'm consistently lazy yeah <laughs> that i can guarantee you yeah so oh, really and it was a lockdown thing like well you know i might as well do something sort of thing yeah i get i guess it feels like life is on the hold right now it's like well what can i do to try and i keep myself sane yeah. and keeps um at least have have something to show do you know for all yeah. the lockdown and for being stuck inside i just you you don't want this time to be a waste. Yeah, and then God, the amount the amount of know, competition of podcasts you'll be getting, Brian. Oh, everyone's got a podcast now. Everyone now, yeah. Do you listen to other podcasts, or is it just like when you're like in the middle of doing a theatre run, the last thing you want to go do is like see other shows? <laughs> well, I would do both actually. If if I'm doing a show and I get a day off, I'll go and see a show, and I listen to podcasts constantly. Oh, Although God. I don't listen to a lot of what would be called theatre podcasts. Mm. I do like interviews in general, and I always I'm always listening with an ear to thinking is that is that good interviewing or you know is it not and do I want to emulate it or not? Yeah, don't listen to much about theatre, but I love comedy like comedians having a go at each other. American comedians having a go at each other is you, my favourite. You thing. on the Joe Rogan then? Not quite Joe Rogan, um, but all the people that have been on Joe Rogan who have all got podcasts. I mean, um, 
I what well until recent accusations, I was a big fan of Chris D'Elia. Um, oh, unfortunately, aye. he's yeah. he's in the in the shit at the moment. I really like Bobby Lee, so I listen to Tiger Belly. That's probably my favorite podcast. He's got a new one out called Bad Friends, which comes out on a Monday. So that's what I'll be listening to after we talk. Lovely. Um, but yeah, c- comics having having a laugh, I quite like because this one can be. I don't know, not heavy, but it, it's it's it can be relatively serious, and mm. I want it to be where you dig into stuff. Um, so I like the lighter end of things when I'm relaxing, you know? Yeah, totally. No, I totally get that. What kind of music do you listen to? Um, Stevie's up there. Um, yes. Listen to, listen to a lot of hip hop and listen to R&B and soul. It's, it's funny. It's just, yeah, it, I didn't, didn't used to, I, I don't know. I had kind of like a period where I wouldn't listen to music actually growing up at all. It was just, it was like more, I would genuinely, I would sit and listen to like film scores more than anything else. Oh yeah, and like video game scores and stuff, like really video game scores. Yeah, wow. like do you know? Are you a gamer at all? Do you play games? No, not really. Nah. Well, do you? Yeah, I do. I, that has <laughs> that has been, um, when you're saying what I've been up to in lockdown, that I have been playing so much God of War. It's an amazing. <laughs> okay. It's an amazing game. That that I'm sorry, I'm going to go on for that. This is now a gaming podcast. Sorry for the next thirty <laughs> seconds. That <laughs> game good. is astonishing. It's like. You know, there, there's just some stuff like that transcends its medium. That game is has such a beautiful story, has such a beautiful score, and it's just so much fun to play. It's, I'm just like, I that that has been my main focus in lockdown. <laughs> to be honest, the EP would have come out a lot faster if I hadn't found God of War. But <laughs> I'm always a bit, I'm always a bit jealous of people who are into stuff like that because you, you're kind of, you really, you sound like you're really deep into it and it takes up a lot of time i sort of wish i had something like that well it's it's great because it wait do you mean music or video games uh video games <laughs> something that wasn't work related that i could just be totally sucked into you know well you well there's there's no harm in jumping in you can you can do that there's nothing stopping you i mean i don't i keep i tried when i was young like i bought consoles various times like, this will be good i'll do this and then i'll just i don't know i, I tire of it very quickly mm. i don't think it's i don't think it's my bag but i'm just i mean some sort of hobby. I'm what I'm saying is I'm jealous you've got a hobby, okay? <laughs> <laughs> if you, I can sense the tension across this. That's terrible. Across the internet. Well, podcast. Well, it's more of a job now, isn't it? That's the thing. If I get interested in something, I end up making it part of my job. Yeah. It's not. It's a, I mean, it's a very champagne problem, isn't it? <laughs> so, well, th- this is our struggle. This this is yeah, what we can use. A, we have to put our this artistic on struggle. Stage now exactly. It's what people need to see. No, I don't know. <laughs> it's I. Gaming was definitely bad influence during school. Would have done better in exams. Takes up it does eat right. up a lot of time. Is the thing. But it's about playing the games that were worth. I was going to say, what did you play? I mean, if it's not that, I suppose it's not that long ago you were in school. Because I'm thinking back when I was at school, we played like Mario, Super Mario, like Nintendo. Yeah, or yeah. SNES. You would have been a bit later than I that. I would have been the X- Xbox 360. So it's similar kind of games that are out just now, like war, you know, first person shooter type y- stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I've I don't play those as much anymore. Like God of right. War, despite the name, is like I would. Re- it's like it's a kind of story driven game first, but I would totally rate it up there as a great piece of art. It's mm-hmm. it it tells such a human like story about grief and how to deal with it, and about um, parenting as well, and lessons you can learn as a as a son and about what you pass on to your. What you leave behind and like changes 
possible. This is the nerdiest thing, actually. I've just cut all of this. <laughs> no, I'm keeping it. It's all good oh, stuff. Dear. No, you talk with passion. That's what we want. Well, it's I. I'm, pa- I'm passionate about that game in particular. But yeah, good. Like, good. like well, it's, it's it's just storytelling. It's like it's like theater or music. It's just another form of storytelling when done right. Exactly. We love storytelling, and to, I always say it's it's the oldest thing going totally yeah telling each other stories and it, all we're doing now is finding different ways of doing it podcasts are another way of doing it mm. plays music you know we tell each other stories zoom quizzes so don't get started <laughs> i gave up on them very early on i was like hey, what a great idea and then i did two and i was like you you're, you're gone it's uh it's i i think finally now my zoom quizzes have calmed down which have which has been not that it's yeah. not nice to connect with family and friends, but I mean, there's only so many general knowledge questions or... Oh, and then everyone's talking over each other because they don't understand how to keep muted, you know? Yeah, it's, it's a nightmare. I just end up policing it. I was like, I'll do it if I can be the quiz master, <laughs> otherwise I'm not interested. I bet you are so fun on a Zoom quiz. <laughs> the least fun of everyone. <laughs> be quiet! This is serious. We're having organised fun. <laughs> organised fun. <laughs> the The worst. Well, look at that. We did it. Wait, were you recording that? <laughs> that was that <laughs> was it? Was that it? Did we do it? I thought it was just the yeah. warm-up. Well, that was it, man. Yeah. I, was, I never tell people when I start. I know. At some point there, I was like, he's recording this, surely. Who started? Well, sne- you're sne- sneaky. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for talking to me, despite the fact we'd never met. How and magical. Hopefully, we shall we shall meet in person sooner rather than later. It will happen. It will. Yeah. One of these days when there's a theatre open and we're both in it. Look forward to it. Look forward to it, mate. All right, all the best. Big thanks to Ruben there. What a guy. Um, sitting surrounded by duvets and whatnot, just like everybody else, trying to make a studio in the corner of a, of a bedroom or something. Good on him. Um, and I'm really thankful that you took the time to talk to me. So I hope you enjoyed listening to him and um, I hope that you're staying well and safe. And remember, if you want to follow us, you can do that on social media. It's PitCCPod on Instagram and Twitter. Dead simple. PitCCPod. And you can look it up on Facebook. It's Putting It Together right on Facebook. We have a wee page there. And remember, if you'd like to become a patron of the show, it would be so much appreciated. Thanks to those who are already doing it. You can give a small or a large amount. You can give two or three pounds a month if you want. Um, It's like the equivalent of buying me a cup of coffee if you met me somewhere. If you think the show's worthwhile and you appreciate it, then consider doing that. Make it part of my income and uh, help me to to keep working on it and keep bringing you the show as you've always known and loved. Let's just assume you've known and loved it. So you can do that by going to puttingittogethercast.com and looking for the yellow donate button. Just follow the prompts in PayPal. It's dead simple. Like I say, a small amount, a large amount, one off or regularly. It's up to you. And if you can't afford to do that, please don't worry. Just enjoy the show. It's free for everybody. Whereas if you can afford to do it and you'd like to help, then it would be so much appreciated. Well, that's about it from me. I hope you have a lovely, gentle week and that life treats you well. And I'll speak to you about the same time, the same place next week. Cheerio now.